Okay. While I was away, I thought about, I had two Sundays to preach, and then Femi is here, Femi Agamemnon is here the 20th, and then I now have to preach the following Sunday because Colin, Colin can't, but anyway, let's get back to routine. I, I, I figured that I would set aside two Sundays to kind of follow up from where I left off three weeks ago when we were talking about Hebrews 12, verse 29. Um, our God is a consuming fire, the holiness of God. And I felt two topics that we, we should do. One is how great is our God, question mark. And next Sunday, how good is our God? And really the two are a pair, they, they, they balance one another. Um, but I'm going to preach the one wholeheartedly to you today and leave the other one till next week. I'm not trying to balance what I say today. We'll do that next week. So let me again go back to the start of my sermon three Sundays ago and give you an overall picture of what God, through his word, tells us about himself. This is basic biblical theology. Sorry to scare you with the word. It means the doctrine of God, how we understand God. These are what we call attributes of God, things that are essential in his person, in his being, in his nature, in his character. It's how he's revealed himself to us. God is, first of all, eternal, infinite, and omnipresent. He inhabits all time, all space. Time is his creature. He is greater than time, in the same way that he is greater than the cosmos. They are his creatures. Energy, time, space are his creatures. They're things he made. He has no boundaries, no measure. He's everywhere present. He is self-existent, self-sufficient and immutable, unchangeable. He's without beginning, without end. He does not change. I, the Lord, change not, he says. He is Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Eternally so. Three in one. One God in three persons. He is omniscient, meaning he's both all-knowing and all-wise. In fact, Paul in one scripture says he's the only wise God. He's the only being who is truly wise. Every other bit of knowledge and wisdom and understanding and reason is borrowed from him. It's delegated from him because he himself is all-wise, all-knowing. He knows everything and therefore he makes no mistakes. He can decree what is going to happen because he can make it happen. He knows the end from the beginning. He's um, omnipotent, all-powerful. And don't think about power in terms of energy, you know, crackling static electricity and pylons and all this. The word power in the Bible has more to do with authority than with how we think of energy. God has full authority so that to make a world, he has only to say and it happens. He speaks things into being. Such is his authority. Old English, we would say power, but now power has become all sorts of things. It's the stuff you need to recharge your, your, your mobile phone. Yeah? No, God is not energy. He is authority. He doesn't have to exert any energy, any strength to make anything happen. He simply has to speak it, and it must be so. Therefore, because he's those things, he is sovereign. He totally rules over all things. Everything is, un, is in submission to him. He is spirit. He's not a creature, he's the creator. He's not finite, he's infinite. Yet the infinite God became 
man for us. The Son of God, the eternal Son, became Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Messiah. But God is spirit. Jesus himself tells us, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is holy. In fact, as we looked at three weeks ago, it's the only place in Scripture you get a threesome, a trisagion. God is holy, holy, holy. It doesn't say he is love, love, love. That's Beatles, not Scripture. He is holy, holy, holy. The three-in-one God is three times holy. Holy cubed to the power three. He is true. He is truth, and there is no lie in him. Another way the Bible presents that to us is that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. He is just. Based in his... (laughs) Go back. Based in his knowledge, his wisdom, his holiness and truth, he is the righteous judge of all. And when God judges, no one can say, you got it wrong, you don't understand, because he knows exactly what is right and true and fair. And then lastly, because we'll come to this next week, talking about God's goodness, God is love. His mercy and his grace flow from what he is, from his heart. It's out of his love that we experience his goodness, his mercy, and his grace. Now, we must hold all of those things fully in our minds and hearts. We need to be thinking about them, meditating upon them, because they are all true. They are how God reveals himself to us in Scripture. They are things that he says about himself. We must not diminish any one of his attributes. Write them down, discount them. Paul uses an expression in his letters, the fullness of God, the pleroma, the fullness of God. It's an extraordinary thing. And in one place he says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That doesn't mean God's going to give up being omnipresent and omnipotent and just inhabit you. But it does mean in the same way that you can be filled with joy, you can be filled with love, you can be filled with delight, you can be filled with this knowing of God. You may be filled with all his fullness. We mustn't set off one of those attributes against another. Closer to home. The God described and declared by a lot of popular Christian culture and media, it seems to me, may be nice, but I don't think he's so great. Can you hear me on that? There's a dumbing down of the essential greatness of God. For some false teachers, God had a beginning. He was a man who became a faith being. For others, no matter what the scriptures tell us, they don't really ascribe all knowledge and wisdom and authority and glory to God because they can't logically reason them out. Why do you imagine you could? He's the infinite God. You can have moments of imagination about him, but you cannot comprehend him. He's the, to- he's the, he's the majestic mystery. There's a Latin name for that that they use. 
No matter how much we read in the Bible, God is always greater than we can possibly imagine. Therefore, Paul says, when we're praying to God, he is able to do far more, infinitely more, than we can ask or think. Why? Because he's the great God. It's not the greatness of your prayer. It's how big he is. And for some... The Lord God Almighty becomes daddy or papa. No, he, yes, we call him Abba. But he's not your daddy. He's to be feared as holy. There's more to God than, than just that father-child relationship. On that third point, let me remind you how Jesus prayed. Watch this. This is how Jesus prayed. John 17, the magnificent high priestly prayer of Jesus. I'm just beginning to add a couple of verses here. Father, the hour has come. Oh, Father, glorify me together with yourself. Holy Father, keep them through your name. You, Father, are in me and I in you. Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am. Oh, righteous Father. Listen, if Jesus prayed like that, I think we need to up our game. And by the word, the word he uses there is pater. It's an official father, not a, not a daddy-papa father. It's, it's the, you know, the head of the house. So I want to ask you the question to this morning. How great is our God? You can't see the black lettering around the edge. It doesn't work. Never mind. To misrepresent God in his nature and character is to set a course for bad living. Bad doctrine produces bad living as sure as weeds grow when I don't want them to. Scripture says that a man lives according to how he thinks in his heart. especially true of how we, each of us, think of God. And some have uh, pursued a particular doctrine in recent times, the father, the heart of God. Now, I'm not totally against that, but some in doing so have dumbed down on sin and and, and some have quite, quite famously fallen and lost their place of ministry because at heart they didn't think their sin mattered and discipline and holiness didn't matter to God anymore. They thought wrongly and they lived wrongly and they borne the consequences. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Now, when I say that, I need to watch myself lest I also be tempted and so forth. Of course I do. But if you think, it doesn't matter. Someone not many miles from here was for years pursuing a, a, a secret affair with a lady in his church. And he used to hint sometimes, you know, I do some things, but it doesn't matter. God's, God's okay with some stuff, and he's still blessing me and using The truth came out. Why? Because God's more concerned about his reputation than that guy's reputation. In the long run, God's concerned for his name, not your name. We need to think great thoughts about our great God so that we are humbled by them. But our focus and perspective and manner of life will be changed as we come to terms with how great is our God. Knowing that God is great helps us to find our place of trust and dependence upon him, our place in his universe, in his kingdom, in his heart, in his covenant. I could use many verses this morning, but I've chosen one which Carol read earlier. 
I want us to memorize verse 3 of it. It's from Psalm 145. And I've, I've got different versions to that. I don't know why. I jumped into different versions of the Bible. This is New King James. I've got some New American Standard. I'm reading the Coleman. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. I think you could memorize me, this with me today. Great is the Lord, Yahweh, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Say it again with me. Great is the Lord, Yahweh, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Now, let me say straight away, we have a problem. As Carol mentioned earlier, in English-speaking societies in particular, we've dumbed down and devalued many words. We even switched the meanings of words, like wicked meaning something else and all that. So any number of things today are called great and awesome and fabulous. They're not at all, are they? They're nothing like it. They're kind of amusing, perhaps, and entertaining. So when we read such words of these in Deuteronomy, the words have lost their currency. They've lost their value. You shall be terrified of them, for the Lord your God, the great and awesome God, is among you. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. We, we can fail to be struck by those words, great, awesome, mighty, as we should be, because our culture has devalued them. Words like that should produce in us the fear of the Lord, awe, respect, honour. But when a pop song or a TV programme gets called awesome, the word doesn't mean much anymore. The Bible presents the greatness of God to us in terms of elevation and magnitude and size. He fills all things. He's greater than all things. He's higher than all things. Whatever dimension you can imagine, time, distance, volume, power, knowledge, wisdom, love, God is greater, transcends our imagination or our measure. Set any standard of measurement and God completely overwhelms it. That means that we are small. Do you like that? It means that we are small. But we don't like feeling small. So even when we sing our great songs, and we do sing some great songs about our great God, we go away and kind of quickly dust ourselves off and say, but actually, I'm not that small. I am not great. He is creator. I am his creature. That's a place of safety and security to really know that. The very heart of atheism is this. They do not want to be creatures of a creator. That's why they were so helped by Darwinism. They do not want to be the creatures of a creator. Talk some more about how atheists argue next week. Because God is infinitely greater than we can say or imagine doesn't mean we shouldn't think and imagine. 
and weave our words together and say as best we can in praise and worship how great our God is. In fact, remember this, knowing God is the bedrock of faith. Faith is not faith in faith, it's faith in God. Faith in God. Jesus said, you believe in God, believe also in me. True faith is faith in God through Jesus Christ. So I'm sorry for the JWs, but faith in God accepted through Jesus Christ isn't real faith. Do not make the mistake of thinking, though, that Jesus is in any way less than almighty and eternal God the Son. At moments when he was with us even, his glory and power were displayed and men were afraid and in awe. Let me spell out God's greatness for you a little more. God is great in his person and attributes. We looked at them earlier on. His holiness, his authority, his wisdom, his all-presentness, his, all, uh, his overwhelming authority in the whole of his creation. He is great. He's great in his works. This is where we tend to sing our songs, Great Are Your Works, Lord. His chief works are these, creation, and then providence, his goodness, by which he maintains his creation and supplies us and feeds us and helps us in every way. And he does that to the wicked as well as to the righteous. The Lord is good to all. He feeds all. He sends the rain, he sends the sun, he causes crops to grow. God is good to all. We're not good to one another, but God is good to all. God provides enough food in the world to feed the whole planet. We just don't distribute it. We hoard it, waste it. God is providentially good to all that he has made. And then there's this work of redemption. God has intervened to bring a human race that rejected him and rebelled against him and spattered him, basically, back to himself, to make them again his dear children. How? Through faith in Jesus Christ, his son. His work of redemption. There are two great songs in Revelation. I, I, I'm not going to tell you what chapters are in there. I'm not going to give you that much of a Bible study. There are two great chapters in, uh, songs in Revelation. The first one is the song of creation. How great you are, Lord. You've made all things for your glory and for, for, your, for, for your pleasure they exist. And then the next one is, praise be to the Lamb of God who's redeemed us, who's saved us by his blood. Song of creation, the song of redemption. If you're a child of God, you get to sing both. But don't, don't, don't think you don't sing the song of creation anymore because you're a redeemed person. We need to honor God as the master creator of all things. We need to sing about his greatness as well as his goodness to us in salvation. And then God is great in his mercy and grace. God is great in his mercy and grace. I like the label that we often put upon what we call Reformed theology. Sovereign grace. God's redeeming and saving work is his sovereign work. He chose to do it. We made no effort to be reconciled to God. God has reconciled us to himself, by himself, through his Son. Sovereign. So before we, almost any Christian you meet will sing, will tell you they know the song Amazing Grace. Yeah? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. 
I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And yet many Christians don't really believe the doctrine of that. You were hopeless. You were useless. You did not make a decision to come to Jesus. Jesus saved you by sovereign grace. That's what we sing in that hymn, folks. You didn't make it happen. He made it happen. That's how great is our God. How great is our God? He's greater than every false God, including the false God of money, wealth, mammon. He's greater than every false God. But he's also greater than me. Remember John the Baptist said about the Lord Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. It's a good motto for life. He's greater than me. God can do what I cannot do. That's why it's good sense to, try, to ask him and trust him, to depend upon him. Because there's stuff I cannot do. I do not have the capacity, but he can. I can't heal people. I can't even heal my own body. But when I call out to him, he heals. He's greater than us. Psalm 100 says, Come and let us bow down and worship us, new before our maker, for we are his sheep. We're the flock of his hand. We belong to him. He's the, he's the shepherd. He's the one with the intelligence. We are these stupid sheep in our mind. I never met an intelligent sheep yet. It's very humbling to think of yourself as being a sheep. And then this phrase comes up in Scripture, greater than all. All what? Put whatever you want. Next the sentence. Put whatever word you want after all. He's greater than all circumstances. Greater than all failures. Greater than all disasters. Greater than all disappointments. Greater than all discouragements. Greater than all. He's greater than all people. Greater than all circumstances, all challenges. He's greater than all history. He's greater than all politics and government. He's greater than all economics. If people called out to him for some more wisdom, we might get more, to get more distance in life. He's greater than all. Put whatever you want after the all. But you need to believe it. Because God is greater than us and greater than our circumstances and greater than our thoughts and feelings, he is our rock. My faith is not my rock. God is my rock. Hear me on that? Yeah? Your faith will fluctuate. He doesn't. There is no rock like our God. If everything else around us shakes Our rock is unshakable. That's another one we sing, isn't it? He's unshakable, immovable, you know, yeah? It is not your faith that is the rock, it is God who is our rock. In another place, Jesus is described as our anchor. Our anchor. God is our rock. I I didn't know where to look this up. It's somewhere in my books by John Piper on my shelves. John Piper, preacher, retired a few years ago, from Bethlehem Church in Minneapolis, tells the story of a couple who attended church on a Sunday morning and that week their child had died. 
And Piper was, you know, in the in front of the meeting and then he was starting to preach. And he, while he was preaching, he was preaching about, from Isaiah about the greatness of God. I think it was even Isaiah 6, about the greatness and holiness of God. And, you know, preachers have these things like you're saying this and your mind's doing this at the same time and even doing that over there as well. And as he was preaching, he looked at this couple and thought, oh, dear Lord, I mean, they're, they're hurting, Lord. I mean, oh, you know, and I'm talking about this and, and you know. He was kind of disturbed that, that this is just over their heads. It's not touching them where they're hurting. As he was greeting people afterwards, the couple came up to him and said, Pastor John, thank you so much. Thank you so much. We needed to hear today about the greatness of our God. Only one thing really matters. Knowing God. Only that one thing. That is a revolutionary statement. That throws over all of the the things that this world tells you matter, are important, that you should be getting into, you should be doing, you, social media or whatever else. Or why don't you do, why aren't you, come on, why don't you buy this, why don't you do that? We go, no, one thing matters. truly matters. Knowing God. Everything else must come into order to that one main reason for living. In fact, let me teach you some French. I'm probably going to pronounce it very badly, forgive me. Raison d'etre. Raison d'etre is French for the reason for living, the reason for existence. The most important reason or purpose for someone or someone's existence. The reason that you and I exist is to know God. There's an old thing called the Westminster Catechism, and the first question is, what is man's chief end? What is the purpose of being human? Right? And the answer is this, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You exist not to make a living, not even to raise a family. Those are worth doing. God bless you in those things. But you exist because when everything else has gone from you, when you are one soul facing an eternal God, you know him. And you have known him. And you will go on knowing him. That's why we exist. That's why the fall was such a tragedy. Man was made to know God, to glorify God, to enjoy him. And we walked away from that deliberately, stubbornly, rebelliously. We walked away from knowing God. Through Jesus we are restored into this process where we begin again. I don't say we know God fully when we're, new, when we're born again. It's a process to start. We begin to know him. I like this phrase. It's been, often been said. It's not original with me. You were made by God and for God. And until you understand that, life will never make sense. You were made by God and for God. One thing. And until you understand that, life will never make sense. And I could add to that, and life will never settle. You'll always be struggling. 
thinking there's something else, there's something else. There is something else. It's this. This one thing that really matters. Many of our songs, old and new, say these things very well. How great is our God? I think we're singing it later. Have we already sing it or are we singing it later? Okay. The greatest thing in all my life is knowing you. Anybody remember that from the old days? I want to know you more. Jesus be the center. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. Knowing God. The one thing, the biggest thing, the greatest thing. But you know what? I grew up uh, singing scripture. 60s and 70s. I know I was born in the 50s, but I don't remember much before. (laughs) About 1960, all right? We used to sing these as songs. Ah, Lord God, ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made heaven and earth by thy great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for thee. There is nothing too hard for thee. We used to sing that. Here's another one. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And one more. For thou art great. Of course it was King James. That's what we read in those days. For thou art great and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forevermore. We used to sing those. You see, I can't forget those scriptures. They're kind of wired in. They've got rhythm and rhyme and even a melody in my mind and heart. Those statements of truth have been part of my life, the whole of my life. I really cannot forget them. There is nothing too hard for the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He is very great and does wonderful, amazing things. Here's a good question for you, Jeremiah. I am the Lord, the God of all flesh, all humanity. Is anything too difficult for me? The question is rhetorical. The answer is no. There is nothing too difficult for him. And I want the greatness of God to catch my breath on my heart even before I launch into a familiar song. I want the, the breath to be drawn and the truth to register in here before it comes out there. I want from my heart to fear and honor his name. But the real test of whether we believe that our God is great is not actually how we speak or sing. It's how we live. As a man thinks in his heart, a woman as well. As a person thinks in their heart, so they live. How great is our God? Is God great enough to be trusted? For his word to be taken as true? For the the, the, the arguments that come to you and against you and oppose you from this world and its liberalism and its atheism and its humanism? Is God great enough to be trusted and personally trusted in your situations, your circumstances, the ups and downs of life which come to all of us? Is God great enough to be trusted? Next week I will ask the question, is he good enough to be trusted? Is God great enough to you to depend upon, to submit yourself to, 
Is he great enough to be obeyed? And the things that he says to you, in the matters of discipline in, 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 in your life, in how you order your family, how you handle your cash flow, how you order life, is he great enough to be obeyed? Or do you have a better idea? Oh, I know it says that, but... No, is he great enough? See, as you think about him, it determines how you trust and obey. It really does. How we think about him orders, controls how we trust and obey. Does faith in God affect how I run, relate to all people, use my time, handle money? Only this great God. You see, when some people talk about God, I think, I couldn't be bothered to worship your God. What, bow my knee to him? But this God, well, yes. Oh, yes. Only this great God is worth calling out to, worth bowing down to, worth trusting, worth praising, worth worshipping, worth serving. He is to be feared and loved. He is to be trusted and obeyed. He is to be praised and worshipped. Let's go back to our verse again. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. And Psalm 150 verse 2 says, Praise him according to his excellent greatness. How else will we rejoice in the Lord and his high praises be in our mouths except that we have a high estimation, view, opinion of him. We ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. We, we put the thoughts together, we put the words together to ascribe greatness to him. How else will we endure in faith through the sorrows and trials of life and the opposition of our enemies except through seeing him, though not with these eyes, as the Lord of all, high and lifted up, holy, great in wisdom, power and love. In 1952, J.B. Phillips, who was a translator of the Bible, of the New Testament rather, into modern English at that time, 1952. No one had done it before. It seemed to be too daring. But this contemporary C.S. Lewis said, I think we need the New Testament in a language people understand. He wrote a book in 1952 called Your God is Too Small. Franklin Graham borrowed the title to put out a book a few years ago of the same title. But the J.B. Phillips one is the better one to read. If we lose sight of the greatness of our God, guess what? Our problems grow large. That's what's happening in that psalm. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. What does it see on the hills? Probably enemies. (laughs) How high he looks up the hill, there's still enemies. This is David under attack, yes? From whence does my help come? My help comes from... The Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He made these hills. These people, he can do what he wants with these people. My help comes from the Lord. His greatness is unsearchable, yet we need to search, we need to seek. We must read and think and meditate on and speak and confess his greatness. So our faith doesn't rest upon our feelings or our circumstances. It rests upon God, the rock himself. We're convinced about his nature. We're convinced about his authority. Hopefully next week we're convinced about his goodness. So if you can't be here next week, I urge you to be here next week. If you can't be, you need to follow up quickly on SoundCloud after next Sunday morning or get a CD. Sunday by Sunday, 
as we... Oh, that one is the one I wanted. Sunday by Sunday as we approach God's word, we're given a life-changing opportunity. I felt praying, preparing yesterday to say this to you. Every Sunday, if you hear God's word, you're given a life-changing opportunity. It is this, to receive and obey his word or not, to be changed through faith and obedience or to remain the same. And I want to remind you that we are here and right now offered such a destiny-defining moment. This morning, again, it's an opportunity to embrace something that God is saying to us and be changed by it. What do you want in life, even perhaps more than life itself? If your heart's answer is not to know the Lord, then why do you tell him that and say, I want my heart's answer to be to know you, Lord? In the end, all we have is him. In the end, the Christian comes to his or her deathbed and at that moment you either have faith about what's happening or you don't. I'm going to be with the Christ. Don't worry about me. I thank you for your prayers and your tears, but I'm going to, I'm be, I'm going to him. All right? God, the eternal, the almighty, the all-wise, the all-powerful, the rock of ages. There's the Belgic Confession, an old confession from the Reformation time, says this. We believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths, God, eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, unchangeable, infinite, almighty, completely wise, just and good, and the overflowing source of all good. I wish I could write that stuff. Let me go back a bit. This should be in the other order. In that prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17, we have this from the words of Jesus. Verse 3. Now this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ. See how he talks about himself? And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You ask some people, what's the goal of being a Christian? Why are you a Christian? And they will say... To go to heaven when I die. Oh, that's a pretty low-level answer. Is that all you think about? Eternal life is the life of God in us, and it happens right now. We don't have it perfectly, but it has begun, eternal. He who believes in him has eternal life, and Jesus defines eternal life this way. It's relationship with God through Jesus. It's knowing God through Jesus Christ. That is eternal life. And of course you go to heaven when you die because you're just going on to the next stage of knowing him even better. But it starts now. It starts now. Let me finish up with this. I, I need, this why, that's why things have got out of order a bit because I juggled it around this morning. I want to turn to Philippians 3. Read this to you then we'll say a few brief things so we're going to break bread. Philippians was written from prison. Paul's in prison, incarcerated, can't do much, can write letters, which he does, fantastic prison letters, including Philippians. He's expecting to be executed soon, and this is how he writes. Philippians 3, verse 7. 
I haven't put it up here, I'm just going to read it to you. But everything that was a gain to me, he's talking about the fact he was so thoroughly Jewish and so learned and all that. Another place he talks about himself as being the chief of sinners, so he knew himself in both dimensions, being someone with glorious past and someone with a very inglorious past. Everything that was a gain to me I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth. That's the word, manure. So that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based upon faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I have already reached the goal or I'm already fully mature. Amen to that, bro. But I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, this is where that passage from Isaiah 42 comes in from earlier. Forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Nothing to do in a prison cell. I've got all day to seek the Lord. I've got all day to pursue the goal of knowing him more and more. Nothing to do all day? (laughs) You've got the most important thing to do. The one thing that matters is still yours. Lying in a hospital bed, can't do it. The one thing that matters is still yours. It's still yours. To pursue knowing him. I should have put a mission impossible up here, but it wouldn't, it's not impossible. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is simply this, to grow in knowing the Lord. That's why you live. That's why you exist. To be restored into relationship of knowing God through Jesus Christ. And you do need if you're going to make progress in that, to discount the past, your past, the former things, whether glorious or inglorious. And some people tell me stories about what happened many years ago, and I'm grateful that God used them in that way. But come on, today, now, please, what's up? I don't mean the app. Of course, we need to seek forgiveness and cleansing for the past, but we also need to let some good things go too. Oh, when I, was, when I used to, oh yeah, yeah. Let it go. Why? Because you need to pursue what is still ahead. Former things are passed away. Behold, I make all things new. Christ will do that in the new creation, but he's doing that even now in our lives. There are moments in our lives when we need to discount the past and choose to pursue I want to say to you, there is grace available to you for that. I'll tell you again about my great uncle, who when he was already retired, of course they retired at a proper age in those days, but uh, rather than that, he was already retired when 
God suddenly took a hold of him and he renewed his vows of faith and commitment to Christ that he'd let go of men since he was a young man. He was a young man when he last served the Lord, really, from a full heart. And the Lord said to him, I'll restore to you the years that locusts have eaten. You think, well, that's not fair, is it? He's lived 40-odd years, of, you know, wasting his time, and now the Lord's telling him, well, you, but his last years were his best years. My uncle, Bert. There is grace available to you. Choose humility. Say to yourself, he must increase, I must decrease. If I'm going to learn more about the greatness of God, then I've got to think less about myself and my big me and my big ego and who I am and what I am and what I deserve and what's owed to me and, and what people owe to me. And don't they know who I am? Yeah, they know who you are. You're nothing, really. I think it was Louis Giglio who was going to meet some publishers. They were writing, publishing his books and he went for a walk on the beach beforehand and, and then he was going to drive into town and see his publishers and he's, and, and he's talking to the Lord, he's walking to the beach and the Lord said to him, uh, I'm great, aren't I? Yes, Lord, you're great. So that means you're small. Yes, he said, but tell them. What? When you go to the publishers, tell them, you know what, I'm not big, I'm, I'm just small. So he did. When he got in the publishers and they sat down and they started the business, he said, guys, before you say we do anything else, I need to tell you something. I, I, I'm not great. I'm just small, but God's big. That kind of stopped proceedings for a while. Choose humility. Humility is a choice. You don't get made, don't ask to be made humble. That means God's got to humble you. That's not nice. That's not easy. Choose to be humble. Put it on. Put on that way of thinking. How do you do that? By saying, you increase, Lord. You, you estimate him as being great and you as not being great. Choose it as a mindset. Prioritize. If this is the big thing, the main thing, then prioritize. Set aside time you need each day to read scripture, to pray, to seek the Lord. You say, well, life is so full. That, yes, I know that. That means something else has got to go, Right? And like Paul says, you treat it like manure and throw it out. You say, that's going to go, so I've got time for this. Whatever it is. Things that fill your time. Things that, you know, and, and you know, where is my phone? Okay. Uh, yeah, I haven't got time to pray. Hang on. No, I haven't got time to read today. I've got just got to, you know. Oh, look at that. Oh, look at so-and-so's, what they're doing. Oh, yeah, Prioritize. We make choices. We make choices how we use the money that comes into our hands. We make choices with how we use the money that comes into our lives. The time that comes into our lives, I mean to say. We make the choices. We can fill it with rubbish or we can fill it with pursuing knowing heart. Set aside the time. That means you need to make what we called when I was accountant an opportunity cost. You choose against something else to choose something greater. You throw something away so you can hold on to something that's precious. You need to figure out those choices, folks. And then press on. Whether the day, today, tomorrow is bright or dark, whether circumstances are encouraging or discouraging, they do not change the truth about our great God. He's the rock. 
The problem is this, that we allow the deception of the enemy to sneak into our thinking and we say, oh, God can't be so great or so good today because I'm having a bad time. He hasn't changed. How are you going to come through that time? Trusting him, the rock. Today is the first day of a new day if you choose to live for the very reason you exist, to know the Lord. I felt I, I had to write that. I believe, honestly, listen to me, I honestly believe someone, at least one person, actually needs to hear those words right now. Today can be a, a new day for you. If you will choose, make the choice, make the decision to live for the very reason you do live, to know God through Jesus. I saw a phrase on a little thing on the internet this morning. I wish I'd put it in my notes up here. The rest of your life could be the best of your life. It depends on the decisions and choice you make. The best of your life could be, the rest of your life could be the best of your life. Let me show you this video. We showed it earlier as an introduction. Then I'm going to pray. And then we're going to break bread together. Okay, many of you weren't here in time to watch this video at 10 o'clock, you know. We do stuff before 20 past that you miss sometimes, you know. Why don't you come early and just get engaged in the whole thing? The worship, the, any video we show and so on. We start at 10. Okay, here we go. pray, then we're going to introduce Breaking Bread. God's word has come to, I believe, at least one person, maybe more this morning, as a specific opportunity, moment of decision thing. You didn't just hear another sermon. You heard something that God wanted you to hear. You, personally, right now. I want you to make your response to him. You can let it go, but that's your decision. You can wait until the meeting's over and kind of brush it off. That's your decision. Or you can respond to him. To this upward call, this pull of God to your heart. 
towards himself. That's what he made you for, to know him. Father, we acknowledge our creatureliness. We had a beginning, and this life will have an end. Yet you offer to every one of us eternal life, a life that begins now and carries on beyond into the world to come, of knowing you through Jesus, your Son. And we thank you that you, by your own sovereign action, wisdom, power, have brought about this rescue that we rebels are being pulled back in into the Father heart of God, into your covenant of mercy. We acknowledge that it's of you, Lord. We'd, it's not in our hands. We don't make things happen. You are the eternal one. You are the all-powerful one. We sing our songs, but we pray that our songs may deliver truth to our hearts like, like adrenaline injections again and again and again. So we come alive with the truth of how great is our God. We ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. We sing with full hearts to him. We, the high praises of God are in our mouths. Father in heaven, May you be more glorified in us and through us. It all starts with how we comprehend you, what we understand of your truth. So, Lord Jesus, please continue to lead us in your truth. Your truth sets us free. Your truth builds foundations in us upon which we can build a whole life that honours God. Now I pray for those who need to make a specific, destiny-defining decision today, that having heard, not me, but you, that decision will be made right now, in this moment, in the presence of God. Holy Spirit, you will enable them and empower them, you will supply them with your grace, so that decision becomes an enacted thing, it begins to be a working thing, It, it, it has energy in it, it has life in it. Lord, your grace comes and gives us life. Give life, I pray, through your word to people right now. You call us not just into a a different structure of life. You call us into a whole new life because it is the life of God in us through the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.